sing to the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us worship the Lord our God. of the upright in the congregation. The Lord has gained renown by God's wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. triune God of power and glory, 
We lift our voices in praise and adoration of your blessed name. For thou, O God, art an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. You give power to the faint, and you strengthen the powerless. Your providential care of all your people is as a sea of grace from which we receive pardon and redemption from our earthly tethers. So we praise you and honor you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace to you and peace from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. All of us gathered in, here in this sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping at other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord, whether in person or virtually. And we would like to ask everyone in the sanctuary, please, to sign the friendship tag. You'll find that on your pew. You may sign your name, send it down and back again, even if you're the only person on your pew. And when everyone has had a chance to view it, just rip that sheet off and place it right on top of it. It makes the ushers work a lot easier. I'd like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service. That time of fellowship will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp. There you will find that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to gather together in fellowship. Once you've had a chance to grab a cookie, if you'd like to discuss this Sunday's sermon, which is the fifth in a series on the Lord's Prayer, just come right on up to the McCall Room, where we promise to have a, I hope, lively discussion about this last sermon in our series on the Lord's Prayer. We will make the print copies of the sermon text and the discussion questions available at that uh, at that adult ed. So if you want to come up and join us, we'd be delighted to welcome everyone to that conversation. I'd like to highlight a few other things from the back page of your bulletin for your particular attention this morning. The first is that two of our fellowship groups, the TNTs and FPCQ, are having a happy hour together on Friday. So if you'd like to participate in that, just email one of the email addresses you'll find on the bulletin just so that we can know who to expect there. Coming up next Sunday, you have a new opportunity. It's called Sing with the Choir Sunday. So if you would like to sing with the choir, you may join in with the choir next Sunday. Uh, Andrew will prepare music appropriate to all types of voices. And you need to email Andrew and let him know you would like to sing with the choir. And you'd like that today, right? He would love that today. Uh, have it on good authority. If you tell him up here at the front of the sanctuary, he'll consider that like an email. Great. We have a series on prayer upcoming, and uh, there are other things in the bulletin for your particular attention, including this little insert, which tells a little bit about the history of First Church, but particularly the history of this building. So starting in two weeks, we will have one service at 11 o'clock. Our celebration families will join us here in the sanctuary to celebrate the 150th anniversary of this building. That will begin a year of celebrations, which will culminate in the celebration of the 325th anniversary of the founding of this congregation. We're quite excited about what that year of celebration holds for us, and I hope you'll be here on the 23rd here at 11 o'clock to celebrate, to begin the celebrations, as we have so much for which to be grateful. On that note, I'm going to call on Crystal Reek with a minute for stewardship for us.
Good morning. My name is Crystal Reese, and I began coming to services here in 2015. Before the pandemic, this was actually my preferred service, uh, but since the pandemic, I've been coming to celebration with my two little girls. Um, and when I was asked to speak about stewardship and, and why I give to First Pres, initially I wanted to talk about our missions work, because First Pres is involved in so many wonderful initiatives across our city to help with some of the issues it faces, like hunger or poverty or gun violence, and to address the needs of groups like our youth community, our LGBTQ community. Um, but then as I thought more about why I give, I, I reflected on the fact that it's actually because of what the church family has done for my family. Like a lot of the families here at First Pres, we live far away from where we grew up. So I don't live close to the people I'm actually related to or the friends I've had for a long period of time. And as we transitioned to becoming parents and having our two little girls, First Pres really took a big space in our life. Many of you reached out to us. Many of you met the girls when they were still babies before they were even baptized in the church and really uh, welcomed us with open arms and gave us a community that we didn't even know we needed. And I really want to thank you for that. And I know that it's had that impact on so many of the other young families in this church as well. And it's really special for my little girls to come here and to see people who know them and who they know and who are excited to see them and who they want to see, whether that's Mr. Bill, who's helped with the snacks, or Mr. Barron, who's always so nice about commenting on how much he likes my little girls' dresses, it really does make a difference in their lives. The other day, we were coming home on a Saturday transatlantic flight, and we woke up first thing on Sunday morning, all jet-lagged. And I asked my toddler, you know, hey, if you, if you want, we could just stay home and have waffles and watch TV, or we could go to church like we normally do. And without hesitation, she said, oh, I want to go to church. I love church. And so we all still motivated and came that morning. And it, it just holds such a special place in our family's heart. So I'm here to thank you for making us part of this church family um, and for sharing that with us. The proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare with confidence to approach God. And let us therefore ask God to forgive us. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. The earth and the fullness thereof are sustained by your gracious hand. We rest always in your abiding care forever. And yet we live as though this were not true. That which we should resist, we succumb to. And that which we should do, we fail to do. It is our sin that causes us to live like this. Forgive us, we pray. Renew within us the desire to know your will, to do your will, and to live for your glory. Remind us what it is to live in you forever. For these and all of our prayers, 
position to condemn only Christ and Christ died for us Christ rose for us Christ reigns in power for us Christ prays for us friends believe the promise of the gospel in Jesus Christ we are forgiven
Our first lesson comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, beginning with verse 25. Listen for the word of the Lord. To whom then will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Our second lesson is taken from Second Timothy, chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Here ends the two readings. We read now from the first epistle of John. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in deed and truth. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before us whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and God knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from God whatever we ask because we obey God's commandments and do what pleases the Lord. And this is God's commandment that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as God has commanded us. All who obey God's commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that God abides in us, by the Spirit he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> One summer, I was a chaplain intern in the cancer center of Charlotte's Presbyterian Hospital, where I was also attached to the Harris Hospice Unit down the hall. I generally consider myself to be competent as a pastoral caregiver, but there was one family in the hospice unit with whom I was consistently at my most inept every time I walked through their door. It didn't help that they were pretty different theologically from me, and the, as we inched closer and closer to death, it seemed my ministrations landed worse every time. And by this I mean every time I visited, it went spectacularly downhill. 
It all culminated one day as the patient was preparing to exit this life and into the next. And we all know that the stakes are high at the time of dying. What we say matters. It either comforts or it fails. So I proceeded to make my rounds through the family, certain that no matter what I said, I was going to exit the room feeling like an unfeeling idiot. It has always been my custom to breathe a prayer right before I enter anyone's hospital room, and with this particular family, it generally ran along the lines of, God, just get me through this and we can negotiate later. I spoke first to the young man's wife and then to his mother, assuring each in turn with my best soothing pastoral voice that we in the chaplain's office wanted to help, that we were available any time, night or day, all they had to do was call for us. And I could make this assertion quite boldly because I was relatively certain that they endured my ministry rather than sought it out. Then, after our rather stilted conversation, I proceeded to make my exit head down, already thinking of the next patient I would see. Only when I closed the door behind me, I realized that it was considerably darker than the hallway should have been, and that was because I was not standing in the hallway at all, but had shut myself into their bathroom. <laughs> now, if this seems absurd, it's because it is. But isn't much of life just too absurd for words? The internal dialogue that followed wasn't any more reasonable, because the first thought that came to me was, just wait a few minutes, they're bound to step out to get a bite to eat, and then you can sneak out. And then in one of those you know, slow-motion, cartoonish moments when you can almost see the light bulb going up over your head, it occurred to me, they know you are in here. <laughs> so slowly, with great humility, I opened the door to be greeted first by a smirk and then a snicker and a giggle and finally a full-on belly laugh. The Spirit of God descended between us in great laughter. There are moments, and this is one, when it is just really, really good to remember that God is God, and we are not. Because God so often seems to favor flawed human vessels to do God's work, it is good to remember that God's purposes are greater than ours, that God is greater than the failures of our hearts, and that though God's ways are sometimes inscrutable, they are God's ways and not ours. I have never preached on the providence of God where it didn't garner lively discussion, and that was certainly the case last week when I said that God is not a micromanager. Now, I stand by that assertion, but it is equally true that we are dependent upon God for everything of life. 
we are resting on a sea of God's grace greater than we could ever ask or imagine. The only clause of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus did not utter, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, stands for us as a reminder of this basic truth. In different eras, the church has understood this final phrase of the prayer slightly differently. The Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1562, states, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, means we have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves, should receive all the praise forever. Written 436 years later, the study catechism of our own denomination asks, what is meant by the closing doxology for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever? It answers, we give God thanks and praise for the kingdoms more powerful than all enemies, for the power perfected in the weakness of love and for the glory that includes our well-being and that of the whole creation, both now and to all eternity. We give thanks and praise to God as made known through Christ our Lord. Separated by centuries, these Catechisms, even with their differences, are united in affirming that if it is good, it is of God who gives us all that we have and all that we are. For that, all praise and thanks are due to God. You can consider this your stewardship sermon. John Calvin would remind us that even the gift to believe all this is a gift from God. What a comfort. Because God is God, and in God's way, faith doesn't rest entirely on us to perfect. If it is good, including even the faith to see it, it is from God. The first letter of John wants us to be clear that the fullness of God transcends our consciousness. If we were to read the entirety of John's letter, we quickly find evidence that false claims have been made about the spirit and nature of God, and it is to these claims that the writer speaks. John wants the reader to remember that even when our hearts condemn us, we fall back on and we abide in Christ. <clears throat> <clears throat> the reassurance that all of us need in the moments when we fail comes from beyond the believer, from God's faithfulness and knowledge. The ground of our obedience at all times and in all places, indeed the very ground of our faith, is God who is greater than our hearts. In writing about this text, D. Moody Smith concludes, God is light and is gives and commands love. 
That might be the gospel in an entire sentence right there, in a single sentence. The God to whom the kingdom, the power, and the glory are due, that God is, gives, and commands love. And yet in a world where life is sometimes hard, where even lifelong Christians may struggle to maintain belief in a transcendent God wrapped up in power and glory, yet whose mercy and love are unlimited, well, culture struggles even more. In his book, The Trivialization of God, Donald McCullough recounts two stories. Playwright Arthur Miller tells of watching his wife, Marilyn Monroe, slip deeper and deeper into depression and dependence upon barbiturates. After a doctor was finally persuaded to give her yet another injection as she lay sleeping, she began to imagine miracles that she might awaken and he say to her, darling, God loves you. And she were able to believe it. Miller wrote, how I wish I still had my religion and she hers. And then he tells of Russell Baker, a newspaper columnist who wrote after his own father's death during his boyhood, I never cried again with any real conviction, nor expected much of anyone's God except indifference. Life is a gift, and life can be hard. Real life demands a real God. This cause, thine is the king, this cause, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, tacks a final reminder of who God is onto the conclusion of our petition. You recall we begin the prayer with an acknowledgement of God's holiness that permeates God's kingdom on earth as in heaven. Then we pray for ourselves and our faith. And now we end by returning to the eternal nature of God. Every aspect of this prayer is vital for faith. The transcendent heavenly nature of God, as well as the closeness of God who cares for the bodily, material needs of this world. Holding this prayer together, we can conclude that God is holy, and yet God is not distant. God is not an ATM, but God cares for the very real needs of real people. Faith holds all of this together, remembering that God is greater than our hearts. It is a fact that as we contemplate God, we will use our own imagery to express our faith. This is good, it is natural, but we have to be careful that we do not enter into an idolatry of our own imagery. The fullness of this prayer is a safeguard against that. God alone is worthy of our praise, and God 
is God in God's own way. You know, idolatry takes many forms, but what is always true of it is this. Idols rob us of the lifeblood of our faith. A God who is God. God is a holy mystery greater than our hearts, but that doesn't leave us free to run up the flag of mystery when it comes to understanding God, because to do so is only another way of seeking to control God's reality. Certainly the risk we run when we seek to say too much is that we might say it wrong, but the risk we run if we say nothing of who God is is that we miss the chance to say this that God is light, that God is good, that God is love. The prayer gives us the language to speak of God without idolatry. God is God in God's way forever. God will do what God will do in God's way forever which leaves us one final word to parse from this prayer. Forever. Forever. Eternal. There is so much of our faith wrapped up in that word. I know I've used this quote before, but I'll come back to it nonetheless because it simply says it in a better way than I could. Frederick Beekner writes, Eternity is not endless time or the opposite of time. It is the essence of time. If you spin a pinwheel fast enough, all of its colors blend into a single color, white, which is the essence of all the colors of the spectrum combined. If you spin time fast enough, time past, time present, and time to come, all blend into a single timelessness or eternity, which is the essence of all time combined. As human beings, we know time is a passing of unrepeatable events in the course of which everything passes away, including ourselves. As human beings, we also know occasions when we stand outside the passing of events and glimpse their meaning. Sometimes an event occurs in our lives, a birth, a death, a marriage, some event of unusual beauty, pain, or joy, through which we catch a glimpse of what our lives are all about, and maybe even what life itself is all about. And this glimpse of what it's all about involves not just the present, but the past and the future, too. He concludes, Inhabitants of time that we are, we stand on such occasions with one foot in eternity. God, as Isaiah says, inhabiteth eternity, but stands with one foot in time. The part of time where God stands most particularly is Christ. 
And thus, in Christ, we catch a glimpse of what eternity is all about, and what God is all about, and what we ourselves are all about, too. That is the God in whom the prayer Jesus taught us invites us to trust. Because life may throw a lot at us, and we may, at times, find ourselves in a darkened room, intentionally or not. But we trust in a God who is greater than our hearts. We trust a God whom the prayer tells us is up to something in the world. So we know that we may always open the door and find light and laughter and goodness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
words of the ancient creed of our church, the Apostles' Creed, let us together say what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. When speaking to the Ephesians in the book of Acts, the, the Apostle Paul said this, In all this I have given you an example, that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. For he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Therefore, let us give of our resources, our tithes and offerings to the generous one, our Lord Jesus.
for the Lord's goodness, and we thank God for these gifts rendered in the name of Jesus to bless God's people and God's holy name. Amen. O holy God, who as a father has compassion for his children, and as a mother comforts her child. We thank you for our home on earth and for the joy of living. We praise you for your love in Jesus Christ, who came to set things right, who died rejected on the cross and rose triumphant from the dead. Because he lives, we live to praise you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God forever. Hear us now, O Lord, as we pray for our world. We pray for the Ukrainian people, for relief from their suffering and fortitude in battle. We pray that their sovereignty will be maintained and their love for freedom rewarded. We pray also for those who have suffered devastating loss in Florida and Puerto Rico and elsewhere due to natural events. Thank you for all those neighbors who have come to help and minister to those affected. We also pray for comfort and sustaining compassion for the families of the children killed in Thailand this week. May the children rest in peace. We pray for our church. May God bless this church at 21st and Walnut. May all that we do here, our worship, our teaching, our mission, and our fellowship, be pleasing to you and will bless your holy name. We also pray for the Christian church throughout the world that she will hold fast to the proclamation and the unfettered teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for our city. We pray that people in our neighborhoods will come together in peace and thanksgiving for our young people, that war in our streets may cease, and that guns will no longer be answers to our complex problems of unemployment, homelessness, and lack of solid role models in our lives. God, protect the children of our city. May they learn and grow and play in freedom and in peace. We pray for those who are suffering illnesses in body, mind, or spirit. We pray that your healing hand will reach out and touch them and that their pain may lessen or cease and their bodies or spirits may be restored to health and wholeness. And when the end of life is near, Grant that we may be faithful in our love for you, as you are always loving us, and in our steadfast hope for your eternal blessing in your heavenly kingdom. 
Finally, we pray for the lonely, O oh Lord. Where there is brokenness in relationships, we pray for healing and restoration of those relationships, if it be your will. Where there is a lack of companionship and friendship in one's life, we pray that the community of faith and others will enter the lives of the lonely and bless and nurture them. For we are all brothers and sisters, one family in the kingdom of God. Now hear us, Lord, as we pray the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
as you go from this place, go remembering that all that this prayer has taught us is vital for the life of faith. But remember particularly that the God to whom this prayer is prayed, the God to whom this prayer points, is the God who is, gives, and commands love. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.